Father, we gather this morning. We've sing songs of worship. We fellowship. We'll share a meal later. We'll join in the Lord's table together. And now we'll study your word. <clears throat> Please touch our hearts, impact our lives. Reveal to us how your divine providence works in your plan of redemption through this book of Ruth. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, sojourners. I'll do this a little bit. Of... Morning, sojourners. I want to welcome everyone, everyone this morning on this second Sunday in Advent. We're continuing the, today with a study of the book of Ruth, more specifically chapter 2, which Molly just shared with us. As we work through and study Ruth, we soon realize it's a story about real lives of historical people. But it's also about God's providence, not just in Ruth's lives, but our long-term future as well. And covenant faithfulness God shows, even in the midst of a very difficult time. In reality, this, this story is a much bigger story, which we will see this unfold as Tyler preaches through the conclusion of Ruth. The book of Ruth gives us insight on how divine providence and human action often work together for God's plan of redemptive history. Before we dive into chapter 2, I'm just doing a very quick review of chapter 1. Chapter 1 begins with the event of a famine in the land of Judah during the days of the judges of Israel. During this famine, a man named Elimelech took his wife, Naomi, and their two sons out of Bethlehem, Judah, to go and live and search for food in the foreign land of Moab. Now, I find sometimes bearing, getting a bearing on the geographical location often helps in the interpretation and understanding of the text. So you can see here to the left, you see the land of Judah, Bethlehem, and Jerusalem. And over on the right, or the east side of the Dead Sea, is Moab. And that brown track there was, could have possibly been the route that they would have taken as they traveled to Moab. Unfortunately, while there, <clears throat> Elimelech died. His two sons took wives in the land of Moab. And sad to say, once again for his family, the two sons also died, leaving the family with no males. The sons' wives were named Orpah and the other Ruth. As the famine ended in Judah, Naomi decided to return to the land of Judah, but she told her two daughters-in-law that they should go back to the land of Moab and to their families. She blessed them, thanked them for their kindness to her and her sons. The daughters wanted to stay with Naomi, but Naomi was finished with her childbearing years and had no sons to give them. Orpah kissed Naomi, returned to Moab, but Ruth said no way. She desired to stay with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Here's the key point in this. Ruth told her mother-in-law that the people of Israel were her people, and Naomi's God is her God. She was firm on that, and there was nothing Naomi could do about it. <clears throat> so if you missed last week's sermon, I would suggest you go back online and listen to that. That will help tie a lot of this back together. That basically summarizes chapter 1. Now let's advance the narrative and look at chapter 2. To quickly summarize Ruth chapter 2 is to it starts to bring together a special union. The chapter begins with the introduction of a man named Boaz. He was especially important because of how he responded to Ruth and who would come out of his lineage. Typically, the book of Ruth is generally considered to be a book, of, about, a book for women, as Tyler mentioned last week in the introduction. But as I read it, you could just as easily call it Boaz and make it a book for men. He's one of the central figures in the story, and without his genealogy at the end, 
uh, ending the line would would not be there, right? And ending the line that brought us David and eventually Jesus. Furthermore, Boaz is a great example of trust, cool-headedness in the Bible, and he's one of the good guys. It doesn't seem to disappoint in the pages of history. He was just playing a great role model. He was a stand-up character. You see that stand-up pop out in verse 4 when he says, And behold, Boaz, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to his reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. So as the story develops, it becomes increasingly evident that God is working through the actions of a righteous man to accomplish his plans for a faithful widow. Also keep in mind that Ruth, a Moabite, was now a believer in the God of Israel and now resides in the land of Israel. So how will that work? How will she act? What will happen to her? especially since the Moabites were excluded from the congregation of Israel because of their treatment of Israel during the wilderness period. And to repeat that point that Thad brought up last week from Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 and 6, no Amorite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. You shall not seek their peace or prosperity all your days forever. That could really cause some serious challenges for it, couldn't it? She was there, really there by grace. Now let's take a look at the text and dig in a little deeper into the story. We start to see here in the first three verses the evidence of providence, God's providence. With verse 1, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. The female dominance in the story has now been modified by reference of a very important male. It turns out Boaz was a near relative of Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. We also learn from the text that Boaz was a worthy man. Verse 2, And, the Ruth, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. The author again reminds us that Ruth was a Moabite. We see that from chapter 1 and now here. More than likely, just to highlight her favorable treatment or grace that she would receive from Boaz. Ruth understood the rights of the poor in Israel to gather grain in a field after the harvesters had passed through. Ruth did not wait for Naomi, but she took the initiative, and Naomi encouraged Ruth to go. So that custom comes from Leviticus 23. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Gleaning was part of God's commands for the Israelite people to care for the poor and oppressed in their society. During the harvest season, the laborers or reapers grabbed handfuls of grain and cut the stalks. Any stalks which fell out of their hands or accidentally cut were to be left in the field for the poor to gather. Thus, every landowner had responsibility to care for others. I suppose much like what God cares for us. I don't know if you can call this next slide really uh, an example of province of God or not. Probably not. But while I was working on this section of the sermon, this popped up on my Facebook vintage farming page. My dad harvested one of these for a couple of years. As a kid, I always wondered 
about the reason for the name of the combine. I always thought it was a very strange name. Who to say that 55 years later I'd have any epiphany about that? As I think about it now, and, and I'm not sure if the name really fit, actually, because my dad said the thing left more grain in the field than it took in. <laughs> Verse 3. <clears throat> so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the client of Elimelech. With Boaz's introduction in verse 1, it becomes clear that Ruth was not in Boaz's field by mere chance. She had moved forward in obedience in her rights to the law of God and was guided by grace into the place that God provided. It is this providence that later leads the Magi to Bethlehem in Matthew chapter 2, directed, directed Ruth to the appropriate Bethlehem field, and it's the same providence that guides our lives today. The key point to be grasped was that Boaz was from the clan of Elimelech, and this is a fact that's very important unfolding in the future events. Now, we'll move into the next section, which I titled that section of kindness and grace. Verse 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you, and they answered, The Lord bless you. The spiritual tone of Boaz and his workers was warm and vigorous. When he greeted them with a blessing, it was evident faith in the Lord was active in their lives. Boaz spoke the language of faith. And we see that in his actions will fit his words. Verses 5 and 6. Then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. When Boaz noted a new woman in his fields among the gleaners, his interest stirred. When he asked who she was, the foreman identified the new gleaner as the Moabitess who had returned from Moab with Amy. Again, we are reminded of Ruth's heritage here. In verse 7, she said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she continued from early morning until now, except for short rest. The foreman added that Ruth had, had asked permission to glean among the sheaves, or that would be the bundles of barley they had. He said that she had worked steadily from the time she came in the morning except for a short rest. Essentially, he noticed that she was a diligent worker. Verses 8 and 9. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do, you, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be in the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink when the, or what the young men have drawn. Boaz addressed Ruth as, excuse me, Boaz addressed Ruth as my daughter, probably in reference to the age difference between them. He was probably closer to Naomi's age. There'll be more references about that coming in chapter 3. Boaz was not, Boaz not only spoke of his faith in the Lord, as we read in verse 4, but his life corresponded to his words. He backed his words with actions. When he told Ruth to continue gleaning in the field, he apparently meant she could con continue to glean through the several weeks of harvest of barley and of wheat through July, which we'll read more about in verse 23 to come. 
Normally the gleaners would move in after the harvesters and had left the area, but Ruth was invited to follow along with the servant girls as they worked in, in the reaping. Later in verse 15, Boaz assured Ruth that she would be protected from the remarks of any of the embarrassing incidents that might come from the male workers. When she got thirsty, she, was a, she needed not to be concerned about drawing water. She could drink from the provided, those provided by the workers. In these, in these ways, Boaz was providing for Ruth beyond what was required by the law. Verse 10, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Ruth responded with utter humility. She bowed down with her, with her face to the ground. She was surprised by the favor that she had received from this important man. You could also easily substitute the word grace for favor. Why have I found grace in your eyes? Considering her heritage, Ruth had expected the opposite of the treatment she had received, and she, and she was a recipient of grace and was grateful. Yet she was eager to find out why she had, singled out, was sing, had been singled out for such unusual treatment since she was a foreigner and a stranger. Verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law in, since the death of your husband has been told to me, and how you left your father and your mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Verse 11 reveals to us Boaz knew much about Ruth. News about her had traveled rapidly through this small town, and Boaz, deeply moved by Ruth, had deeply moved by what Ruth had done for Naomi, spoke to Ruth in words of high affirmation. Verse 12, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and for a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz prayed that God would reward Ruth as a repayment for the kindness she had displayed to her mother-in-law. He strengthened his Request by asking she be richly rewarded, or a full reward, by God, the God she had come to trust. She was trusting in God's protection. Soon we will see Boaz be used by God to answer his own prayer. Verse 13, Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant though I am not one of your servants. Though Boaz could not have, though Boaz's words could have stirred her pride, Ruth continued to respond in humility. She mentioned her gratitude for his favor, comfort and kind words, and hope they continue. Humility that she felt she was less important than Boaz's servant girls. And verse 14, At the mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come, eat, come here and eat some bread, and dip your morsels in the wine. She sat beside the reapers, and he passed her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Boaz continued his kindness to Ruth. He invited her to eat, and the good food provided himself and his harvesters. He invited a foreigner, a Moabite, to eat with him. Wow. She was, she was not left to fend for herself as the other gleaners would usually do. He provided for her more than she could eat, either to show his general, his, 
genuine concern and interest in her or to allow her to take some home to her mother-in-law. Verse 15. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young woman, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. After she returned to gleaning, Boaz ordered his workers to do more than let her glean among them. In addition, they were to deliberately drop handfuls of stalks of barley in her path that she would have abundant provision. This too was beyond what Boaz was required by the law to do, nor were his men to rebuke or hinder her in any way. What we see here simply is grace upon grace upon grace. In verse 17, So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. After working, all, working hard all day, Ruth threshed the barley, beat out the grain from the stalks. She had what she had, what we would relate to about a half a bushel, and, a, and you, an, an unusually generous amount for one day of gleaning. It weighed about 30 pounds and was enough to, of food for many days. Now we move into a period more of thanksgiving and joy, sort of 18, verses 18 to 23. Ruth's return home to Naomi ended Naomi's emptiness and filled the older woman with anticipation, thankfulness, and hope. Verse 18, And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. When Ruth brought home the ephah of barley grain, the results of her toil, Naomi saw the large amount. Ruth also gave Naomi the extra portion she had saved from her lunch, from verse 14. Here was a widow who was not overlooked in the daily supply of food. Naomi would be, would be cared for by Ruth. Verse 19, And when her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. She told her her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi requested the name of Ruth's benefactor and prayed a blessing on him before Ruth answered her question. <clears throat> Ruth declares that she had worked in the field of Boaz. Verse 20, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The Lord is a close relative, I'm sorry, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Naomi repeated her blessing, now knowing whom it should be applied to. Her time of sorrow and sadness had now become the dawning of a new day of joy. Read back in chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. We read that as we read as God was the source of her sorrow, we now, he was now the source of her joy. God's kindness again rested on the living, Ruth and herself. Naomi's mind immediately perceived the significance of the situation. Even the dead might soon be blessed. In the name of Elimelech, her dead husband could live on through her faithful daughter in law, Ruth. 
Boaz was a close relative. And more than that, he was a kinsman redeemer. He could act as a redeemer of property and persons. Boaz could redeem by fulfilling the Levite law, which a brother of a deceased man to marry his widow and raise up a son in his name. So from Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 and 6. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as wife and perform the duty of husband, husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, and his name shall be not blotted out of Israel. Though Boaz was not the brother of Malon, Ruth's deceased husband, he was a close relative to the family and could act as a lever if he so desired. Naomi sensed the willingness of Boaz. No explanation is given as to why Naomi did not mention near a kinsman redeemer, but we'll read more about this in chapter 3. Verse 21 and 22. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall, not, you shall keep close by my young men until they are finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go with his young women, lest in another field you may be assaulted. Ruth had more good news. Boaz had invited her to remain in this field throughout the harvest. Naturally, Naomi encouraged Ruth to, to accept Boaz's generosity. Perhaps to emphasize this, to stay there, Naomi reminded Ruth of the danger that might lurk in another field. This was a reminder of especially the low morals in the days of Judges. Verse 23. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Ruth's loyalty was revealed in her obedience to Naomi's words. She gleaned with Boaz's servant girls for several months of the barley and wheat harvest and lived with Naomi during that time. So that concludes the narrative of chapter 2. However, the story doesn't end there. The tension in the plot continues, for the harvest would soon come to an end. What would happen to the two widows when the harvest was over? You will definitely want to be here next Sunday and tune in to listen to Act 3 of this story, brought to us by our beloved Tyler. Here's a bit of a preview, though, for the next couple weeks. In verse 20, we saw the very first mention of a redeemer, which better defined means kinsman's redeemer. The word is going to occur probably about eight more times in the next three, in chapters three and four. It's a key word, it, redemption concept in the book of Ruth. The kinsman redeemer was a savior figure, the one who was responsible for coming and rescue the needy. We'll see more of this be fulfilled as we work through the conclusion of Ruth. This Old Testament story is surely setting the stage for the introduction of our ultimate kinsman redeemer. So in conclusion, I want to refer back to my opening statement. And as the book of Ruth gives us insight on how divine providence and human action often work together for God's plan of redemptive history, not only in the lives of the biblical people, but in our lives as well. God fulfills his sovereign plan through human means and his creative power. In the book of Ruth, we see God's sovereign and providential plan of seemingly unimportant people in insignificant times, which later 
proved to be monumentally crucial to accomplishing God's will and his plan of redemption. We will certainly see more of this be fulfilled as we work through the conclusion of Ruth. Tyler will be leading us in the Lord's table in just a couple of minutes. But as we approach the table, this is something to consider this. As a Moabite, Ruth was a foreigner, undeserving of, his re- of the rewards and gifts of gleaning that had been given immense favor and grace with her belief in the God of Israel. She came from a condemned people, but through her faith was given much undeserved grace. Does that story sound familiar? Can you see that same story in our lives as well? Thinking in, in, in our version of the story, we don't have a good man like Boaz as our redeemer. We have the ultimate kinsman redeemer, which is why we, an, un, an undeserving people, through faith in Christ, celebrate this meal to come in memory of that awesome grace that we've been given. Christ more adequately met all three requirements of this kinsman redeemer. He had the right to redeem us as a relative. After all, he became flesh and blood. He was able to pay the price because he had lived his whole life without sin or the active obedience of Christ. And finally, thankfully, he was willing to redeem even though it meant going to the cross. So give that some thought as you approach the table today. So with that, let's pray. Father, thank you for the story of Ruth story of redemption shared with us through your word and the redeemer you provided who um, met all the requirements and qualifications as the kinsman redeemer to pay for our salvation. Thank you for the joy that we have in Christ and in whom we, in whom we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen.